We want people to talk to us and tell us what's working and, more importantly, what's not inside our organizations. But getting people to open up isn't easy. On this episode, an expert interviewer on how we can invite people to say a lot more. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 560. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. And conversations is really the focus of this episode. So often I've heard from leaders, from executives, boy, I'd really love to know what people are thinking. I'd love to hear more about what's really going on inside the organization. And so many of the times we've heard on the show the importance of curiosity and asking questions. And today, an invitation for all of us to do a better job at getting people talking so we know what's really happening inside the organization. And then as leaders, we can do a better job of serving and addressing those concerns and those opportunities. And I'm so glad to welcome back to the show an expert who's just so talented at getting people talking. Andrew Warner is an entrepreneur and host of the Startup Stories podcast, where he uncovers the secrets of the world's best founders. Over the course of 2,000 episodes, Andrew has interviewed everyone from Barbara Corcoran to Gary Vaynerchuk to the founders of Airbnb. After building two startups of his own, one successful and one that failed, Andrew started Mixergy as a way to learn from other entrepreneurs. Today, Mixergy is a place where successful people teach ambitious upstarts through interviews, courses, masterclasses, and events. He's the author of the book, Stop Asking Questions, How to Lead High-Impact Interviews and Learn Anything from Anyone. Andrew, what a pleasure to talk to you again. It's good to talk to you again. You're one of my early teachers. Indeed, as you are mine. Uh, you're, let's see, it's been 15, 16 years ago now. I was teaching a Dale Carnegie course, and you mm -hmm. were a graduate coach in the course. And what fun it was to learn from you about business and entrepreneurship. And you, in turn, learned a bit from Carnegie. And now you have really made a name for yourself on the internet of someone who has just done a fabulous job of interviewing people and getting people to talk in really authentic ways. It's been so exciting to see what you've done. Thanks. And you mentioned Carnegie a bit in the book. And, you know, this is an interesting, this would be a maybe a little different conversation than we normally have on the show in that this book is actually aimed at people like you and me who do interviews for a living and do a lot of them, right? But there's so much here that's so relevant on the tactics you you use and the principles of how you approach conversations that are so central to get people talking. And I think so many people in leadership roles really do want to explore ways to get people talking more effectively. And so I'm, mm -hmm. really, uh, I'm really excited to learn from you and to see what you do to, to actually bring that out in people. Yeah, I so first of all, I did actually use Dale Carnegie's technique in writing the book, I remember when you and I taught Dale Carnegie, I would watch you take these engineers who I remember one guy didn't want to show up to class. He sat there and he said, I don't want to participate. And 
you asked him, then why are you here? And he said, I was told that if I participate, then I could get a bump in my salary. And so I'm here just to show up and do the bare minimum. But I don't think that engineers need to do any kind of public speaking. I don't want to participate. That's the way that he entered the first room. And I said, oh, boy, (laughs) I could even see the guy's face in my mind's eyes. I'm talking about him. The last day, he was one of the best speakers and when I watched him at the end, I said, wow, we that this process can take somebody who didn't even want to speak, wasn't super articulate, wasn't even interested in being articulate, and make them into someone who would win an award. He got a pencil, I think it was the award at Dale yeah, Carnegie, but he got yeah. the pencil. I said, this is amazing. And so I used it as a persuasion technique within the book. Tell a story based on something that happened, make it actionable, and then have a clear point at the end. And that's what the book was based on. Uh, Carnegie was such a great um, inspiration for so many of us on like how to be better storytellers. I, you know, I'm curious since you remember that so clearly. I have absolutely zero memory of that exact incident, maybe because it happened mm-hmm. a bunch. Do you remember <laughs> what I said in the moment when he first said that first thing, like that that responded to that? Do you have any recollection? You know what I remember is I was expecting you to tell him why it was important to educate him on why even an engineer in a room full of other engineers would need to know how to tell a story or how to be persuasive. And you didn't, you weren't arguing back with him. And I thought, this is why I'm here. I'm here because I read in the book, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Don't argue with people. It doesn't work. And now I want to see it so that I could feel it and see the truth of it in a real life situation and not just in in someone's book. And so I got to do that. And that was that was what I was there for. And that's what I remember about you. You weren't arguing back with him. You let him have his point of view on it. And then in time, he changed. I really am so poor in an argument. I'm just not good at that anyway. <laughs> So part of that maybe just maybe I learned from Carnegie, but uh, you know it it just it, Carnegie did teach that of like you know tr- the best way to win an argument is to avoid the argument. Yeah, and yeah. And, it, and it's there's a distinction there between avoid not avoiding conflict, right? Like we're not trying to avoid conflict with people. That's not the point. But there's no real point of like having an argument with someone like where tempers are flaring. Like take a step back realize that you're it's about a relationship you're building a relationship which we were in that class over weeks and weeks and weeks with someone and you just start there and and that actually is a great lead into one of the principles you teach in the book which is an element of reciprocation and i yeah. think when we get with someone and we want to learn about them we want to get them talking our tendency is just to jump in and ask questions, have the entire focus be only on the other person. And one of the things that you invite people to do in the book is actually to get others comfortable a bit more with transparency. Tell me about that. I had this experience where I I hired the producer of Inside the Actor Studio. I said, this is the show that gets celebrities to cry, to be open, to break free of all the things that their PR people told them to do and just actually be themselves. So I said, I want to learn from them. So I found the producer and I hired him. And every week, this guy, Jeremy Carrigan, and I would get on a call and he would look over my transcripts from the previous week's interviews. And every week I did anywhere from three to five interviews. So we'd go over the transcripts and then we talk about what I did well so I can write it down in the doc that eventually became this book and what I failed at so that I can improve and try a different approach and come back and and have something that worked next time, hopefully. And I remember one of the calls, I said, 
I'm tired of how every time I do one of these interviews, I talk about my negativity and the things that don't work for me. And the other person doesn't. And they just get to prance around and talk in the interview about how great they are. I said, why are you tired of that? I said, everyone online, all they do is talk about how great they are on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and, and now in my podcast. And all I do is, well, ask people about what they're do, doing well and then talk about my shortcomings and what I want to do to improve. And he didn't respond. And he just kept like his head buried in my transcript. And I felt like, oh, this guy doesn't care about what, I, what I'm upset about. He's just here because I'm paying him. And then he finally said, Andrew, double click on my face. And if you're in a Google Doc, when you double click on someone's uh, headshot in the upper right, you get to scroll down to where they are. Hmm. And he said, Andrew, is this what you mean? And I said, yeah, exactly. Look at how I'm talking about what's not working for me. He said, okay, now give me a minute. And I said, now double click on my face. He said, now look at this. You revealed something personal about yourself. She didn't respond to it. You saying that you started this business because your last one failed. But when you scroll down a little bit further, you can see that now your interviewee, she's telling you how her mom used to be hard on her. She's telling you how that was a difficult situation for her, that she had to prove herself to her mom. She's telling you how she had to get to be a better person because she wanted to show her mom that she wasn't as bad as her mom thought she was. And he said, Andrew, you tend to think that because you share something vulnerable that the other person is going to reciprocate immediately. It doesn't happen that way. People are not like the guy who sells you hot dogs or, or falafels on Bleecker Street. You don't pay with, with your uh, vulnerability and they respond by giving you their vulnerability. It sometimes takes them a while. What you're doing is setting the stage and enabling them to do it whenever they feel comfortable. And guess what? Sometimes people won't. And I took that to heart. And truthfully, that happens a lot. In interviews, I, I share something vulnerable, something that's not working for me, and then I, I give it time and the other person's almost always willing to share in their own time. And now for me, in their own time means I only have an hour with a person that I'd never met before that we're doing this interview on Zoom. I've been doing this now for 14 years, over 2,000 interviews. Almost always within that hour, they will come through with something personal. And that's the way it works both in the interviews and in personal conversations. If you want people to be open, you often need to go first. And if they are open, you need to reciprocate to make them feel comfortable with where they are. But that transaction is not like buying a falafel on Bleecker Street. It's one of the things that I really love that you did and you've done for years, even before you're writing the book, is that you have, as you mentioned, hired other people to mm -hmm. look at your transcripts, to find the places, the things that have worked and the things that have not. But you've also studied other interviewers and found out, like, what did they do to get people talking? And one of the techniques that you share in the book is um, looking at uh, Charlie Rose uh, and one of his interview techniques and really focusing on a single word. Tell me a bit about that. When I grew up, Charlie Rose was this interviewer who was on PBS, who was boring, who no one paid attention to, <laughs> and who who was laughed at by uh, Saturday Night Live as the guy who went on so long that his guest, who uh, in the bit was the guy playing Donald Rumsfeld, basically just wanted to walk off and say, you've, you've talked forever and you haven't asked me a question. And eventually, by the time I'd started to do my interviews, he had become a model of how to have deep conversations 
and let the conversations go and be open. And I said, how did he get to that place? What does he do? And so one of the beauties of the internet today is that there are these apps that will transcribe people's interviews for you. And one of them that I signed up for is an app called otter.ai, but there, there are loads of them. And what I started to do was take interviews from Charlie Rose, Oprah Winfrey, and others, and I would just feed them into Otter AI, and I'd get the transcript of them. And one of the things that I discovered with Charlie Rose is he uses one word to get somebody to go deep. If the person's just blabbing on and on and on and saying, then I did this, then we decided to do that, then we decided to do the next thing, he'll just say, because. And that's a word, a single word that you could interject even when someone else is talking Because what you're saying to them is, I'm so curious, I need you to go deeper. And you've kind of given them the first word of their response to you, which is because, and then they go off and they explain to you why they've done what they've done. And I use that in interviews. I used that with my wife the other day, we were arguing about something and she was telling me all the things that that she wanted and she expected from me. And then I said, because... And she started uh, explaining to me why she wanted to see that I was an active participant in the relationship, not somebody who was, you know, dragging myself through my day and through the house. And one word, it doesn't it doesn't uh, matter what they're saying. If you want to understand why they're saying it or why they're doing the thing they're telling you about, just interject because and watch the magic. It's really interesting how a word or two can open up so much, sometimes way better than a, a few sentences or a paragraph can. You know, I'm thinking back to Carnegie, actually, and you mm-hmm. mentioning that earlier. One of the things that I learned as a Carnegie instructor was to invite people to say more because someone would sometimes someone would say something like they'd show up at a class and they'd say, you know, I I just I found this to be really useful, and I ended up using one of the Carnegie principles, and it really opened up some things that I hadn't heard from employees before. And then they'd stop. And then the next person would start talking. And I and I was thinking like, oh my gosh, I want to hear more <laughs> because I want to like find out what really worked. But I also want to surface that in this conversation because I know there's like eight other people in this room who are like, whoa, what happened? Like, how did he do that? Because I want to use that with my team too. And the phrase that I stumbled upon at some point was just asking, how so? Mm. And when I'd ask how so, it was like a really light, casual ask, mm-hmm. but people would then go into all kinds of detail about the situation and example and the storytelling, like you said a few minutes ago, and it would open up this incredible wealth of information, and and then people would like build such great connections as a result of that. And it was it literally came down to two words, and those were way more powerful than anything else I could have said. I'm looking it up in Merriam-Webster online, and it says... One of the two definitions is, why does one think that? That you're trying to understand why, you're trying to let them go deeper, and it's just so powerful. One of the things that I've done because I said, I wanna be systematic about this. If I'm gonna have conversations, I don't just want them to sometimes be okay, sometimes be great, and other times be terrible. I need them to be dependably great because I'm publishing, frankly, on a regular schedule, never fewer than three a week for 14 years. 
And so when I would discover a phrase like now, how so, I just add it to a Google Doc because I add it to a Google Doc wherever it is that a phrase comes up that's effective, I add it and then I try it. And because I also have a team here of producers who've helped me over the years, of people who are new to and want to book and talk to guests, I decided at some point, you know what, I'm going to if I find a phrase, if I find a technique that works, I'm going to also look through my transcripts and show an example of how just copy and paste it out of the transcript into the Google Doc under the name that we've given the technique. And then I share that doc with my team and say, here, if you're doing a pre-interview with a guest and you want to know how to get them to go deeper, here it is. The word because. If you're doing a pre-interview with a guest and they're not giving you a story, here's how you get them to give you a story. Ask them about a single time. And so they had this doc and it's incredibly effective. And I think that having interviewed now a couple of thousand entrepreneurs, the ones who are intentionally effective are the ones who take the things that seem like magic and they systemize them. And and that, I think that really fits in well with so many of the conversations we've had on the past on the show. I'm thinking about like Michael Bungay-Stanier, who's taught us about the coaching habit and asking good coaching questions and having a system. I know many of our audience um, use like those questions or some version of them as part of their system. And I think that's really interesting in contrast to your book, of course, is titled Stop Asking Questions, which I think mm -hmm. is really ironic, right? Of also having a little different way to think about it and to approach this. And part of what you invite people to do is don't necessarily sound needy um, of to it doesn't everything doesn't have to be a question. You can show up with a little bit more right. direction. And one of the distinctions you make in the book is that rather than asking a question like, how did you get your first job? You might say, tell me how you got your first job. What's the difference between the way those are phrased for you as an interviewer? you can kind of feel how one of them seems like a needy person, like a needy intern trying to collect information because they can't make sense of the world yet. And the other is a leader who's going to direct you. I liken it to Olivia and I took the kids to all these national parks over COVID. And we would see these park rangers, we would see these tour guides at times, and they wouldn't just say, what do you want to do next? Do you want to go left or right? Do you want to see this or that? They would say, and now look over on the right and notice that tree. That is the biggest tree in this park. And the reason that that's important is, and then they would tell you that a guide, which is what a lot of people look for in a conversationalist. They want someone who could help bring out the best in them, the thing that matters to them that they can't tap into on their own. They look, they're looking for a leader. And I discovered through my interviews that when I kept asking questions, how did you come up with your business idea? Why did you think it was going to work? How did you hire your first employee? What did you do next? I was sounding too needy. It was exhausting to hear somebody ask question after question versus occasionally saying, now tell me how you got the business idea, which sounds, it's such a small distinction, but it's much more effective and it sounds more like a guide. Now, we're not just leaders in the sense that we're telling people what to do. I'm not looking to say never ask a question ever. I'm saying sometimes you have to stop asking questions, rephrase them as sentences and, and use them to direct someone through a conversation. Sometimes, frankly, instead of asking questions and trying to pull information out of other people, it's helpful to just share some of your own. And so I, I've discovered that by asking too many questions, we come across too much like needy people instead of the leaders that they need, that they're asking for, that they want in that conversation. 
the message I hear from you clearly here is show up and own the conversation. Um, don't just show up with a list of questions and you're not really sure what you're doing with that. And you're you're being curious and you're doing all the things we hear about mm -hmm. of being coach-like and all that. All oh, that's really good. Like we're not negating any of that. It's all super powerful. I use that most of the time. And yet there's also something to be said, and I think a really big thing to be said, to show up with a plan. You know, I'm I'm here to let's have a conversation about this. Tell me a little bit about this. And it it's not scripting out by any means, and I don't do this for conversations, but I always show up with a plan of like, what do I want this conversation to do for both of us that helps us to move forward? And I think that sometimes we really get too caught up in a lot of situations professionally if we spend too much time just asking questions and not enough time being a little bit more directive, especially in the places where we have a we have some position of influence or power. That's exactly. I, I I agree with you completely. And by the way, speaking of plan, where where my mind went with that is because I wrote a book that interviewers are using now to help them become better interviewers, better podcasters. I've been asked to do interviews a lot. And in the beginning, I said yes more often than I do now. And some of the earlier interviewers would just take me on some kind of trip that I didn't even know at the end. What? Where do we go? What are we doing? They would randomly ask me about my first business, a greeting card company that I sold. They would randomly ask me about running. They would randomly ask me an idea from the book, but there was no continuity. There was no sense of purpose versus having one person who came on and said, I'm brand new. I'm a college student. I don't yet know how to have conversations with people. I'm not even looking to be an interviewer. My goal here is to just bring up some issues that I see and have you tell me about how you think I could handle them. And through that, the audience would understand. Now I have some clarity. Now I know where we're going. I had another person who said, Andrew, I don't care about interviewing as a topic. I just want to know about running. And I said, oh, I love running. Would you spend 15 minutes talking to me about running? I said, absolutely. Hmm. We spent 15 minutes talking about running. That little bit of clarity of where conversation's going is often missing. And since so many of the people in my audience over the years have wanted conversations with me, and I often say yes, and I link people to a calendar invitation, I sometimes would have those kind of rambling conversations with people who are looking to me for guidance without any clarity about what kind of guidance and where they were going. And one of the things that I decided to do was within those in within those calls, we would start and I would say, by the way, I want this 15 minutes to be useful for you. What's a win for you? And now we know exactly what they're going for. If what they're asking me for is, Andrew, it would really help me if you can introduce me to somebody in Hollywood. I could say, well, I might have lived in L.A., but I have no connections to Hollywood. I'm sorry. We could end the conversation pretty quickly. If it was, Andrew, I'm trying to figure out how I could raise money from this company over at Y Combinator. Here's what I've done. I could say, you know what? I don't know if that's a good fit for Y Combinator, but I interviewed somebody who was at Y Combinator who raised money from them and then helped them out. Let me see if we could have the next 15 minutes talk about what you've done so far, why they're important, and then I can pass that on to them and see if it's a good fit for them. But that little bit of where it's going, that little bit of clarity just changes the whole course of the conversation. It's such a case for showing up, having spent a few minutes. I mean, you and I spend way more time preparing for interviews on our podcast than I think the average leader should spend ever on a conversation in most situations in their organization. Mm -hmm. But that's not zero time, right? It's fascinating Like when I see some of our members get in the habit of just stopping and spending five minutes before a conversation starts, especially a significant one or a significant interaction with, mm -hmm. a, with a major stakeholder, to think, like, what is the point of this conversation and what do I have 
that I want to have come out of it. Like you and I at the start of this conversation said like, hey, the focus of this conversation is how to get people talking, right? And that way it's really clear on what we're doing, why we're there. And that little bit of time and intention and planning really goes a long way. And then everyone's there and it feels relevant to everyone and you're serving people a lot better than you would otherwise. Agreed. It was so helpful for me. I'm not sitting here thinking, is this right? Am I answering what, am I giving him what he's looking for? You told me in the beginning, this is not for someone who's in my audience, who's going to go start a podcast and be in an everywhere. No, they could do that, but that's not what it's for. It's their leaders. How do we, how do we use what you've learned as an interviewer? I have so many people that come on the show, uh, who, and they do a lot of interviews as you and I do, and we'll get to the end of the interview and they're like, wow, like, that was really specific and focused on something. Like normally when I give interviews, people are kind of all over the place. And it just sort of strikes me as like, well, how else would you do it? You know, I mean, it just makes sense that we would go into it with a plan. And I and I've had people say, like, you know, I like that you showed up with a specific focus and a plan. And I think that there's an opportunity for a lot of us in conversations, both personally and professionally, to do a lot more of that. Let's zero in on one of the other key tactics that you talk about in the book. And this one for me, when I read it, I had never thought of this, Andrew. And when I read it, I was like, oh, that's huge. And I've actually had several conversations last few weeks since I read in the book about this. One of the invitations you make is to avoid asking what you call most questions. Mm. Tell me about these. Oh my gosh. You know what? It's the most well-intentioned people who are trying to get you to open up who ask you the most questions. Like I came back from a trip backpacking through Europe and my friend who I went to see immediately after I landed said, so Andrew, what's the most exciting place that you went to? And I get it. They're coming from a good place. But in my mind, I said, do I talk about running with the bulls in Pamplona? That's one of the things I've wanted to do for years and I finally got to do it. Do I talk about my friends who I met on the trip? Well, if I if I talk about them, then I kind of avoid the thing that mattered to me the most was that one day when I was with, nope. And now my head is going through what's, and I know I'm overthinking it, but I know that that happens to me a lot and I know it happens to a lot of other people. And I think that what we're trying to do is get someone to just express something that's meaningful to them. And once we go into the most, it becomes super significant. So um, as an interviewer, if I ask someone, what's the most important hire you made? It's just, it's death for the conversation. Who do they tell me about? Is it the first employee? Is it the, the COO? Is it the person they just hired yesterday? Who is it? It's too much. And if they say the wrong person, they could insult them. I find that it's just helpful to ask about a single person. Tell me about one of the fun things that you did on the trip. Tell Uh, me about one of the meaningful experiences you had. Tell me about one of the key hires that you had. Look at the distinction. Unless I really need to know the most important person we hired, I think I could ask a founder, tell me about a significant hire. And most founders, they'll come through and they'll tell you a great story. What really blew my mind when I read this is I got to thinking of all the times in the recent past that someone has asked me a question like, What's mm-hmm. the most important thing for leaders or who's the best person you've ever right. interviewed? And I, I I just sort of found myself reflecting on those thinking like how much mental energy it takes me like when I get a question like that to kind of think through and I pause and I stumble and I don't sound confident. And I'm spending all of my energy trying to rank order something in my mind instead of 
actually just responding to the question because it's not really that important. Like you said, like it's not important who, what's most or best. And it's fascinating of how just taking out that one word of what's a person or what's a time or what's a situation you experienced that all of a sudden, like all that emotional kind of like baggage disappears. And then you're like, oh, I could, I could kind of approach that however I want. And you get the person focused on the actual talking about the thing, whatever the thing is. And most people who we talk to, it, if we're trying to learn something from them, it's because they care deeply about it to a level where most of us would not even think to go to. And so for them asking what's the most important, it's significant. If you ask me, Andrew, what's the most important message from the book? I take that because it's something that I care about. What's the what's the most exciting guest you talked about, uh, you interviewed in the last month? I take that seriously. And there's no need to distract from what we're really looking for. Just ask about a person. And I think, by the way, that works especially well with kids. Instead of asking my kids, what's the best thing that happened to you at school today? (laughs) (laughs) That's too much. I'm laughing because that's that's one of the places that I've been practicing this the last few weeks Mm -hmm. since I read it is, I don't know if I often ask the kids most or best, but on the way home from school, I've been really experimenting with asking them a specific question on something that they absolutely do not expect. Like I'll mm-hmm. ask them, what's one thing that made you smile today? Mm-hmm. Or I'll ask, what's a strange thing that happened at school today? Or what was something silly someone did? And it's fascinating how that has opened up for them like so much more conversation and dialogue on the way home in the car about what the day was really like. And all of a sudden, what I'm getting as a parent is the thing that I actually wanted, which is they're telling, it doesn't matter what it is really. I mean, what I want is the connection though. I want them to feel comfortable sharing their day and their experiences and the joys they've had and the struggles. And just by asking something that's that's just non it's it's not a rank order thing but by being much more casual about it it opens up so much more it's really fun you know i have another one that i do with my kids that helps that i learn from interviews it's to ask something that you know clearly didn't happen so for my kids if i know that on monday they don't have their german class they're apparently taking german class now um if i say so how is german class today they will then come back and go, Dad, you know there's no German today. Then what ha- today we have, and then they tell me what they had and what was, what goes oh, on. Oh, interesting. There was this article as part of my research for the book. I was trying to find it about someone who said that when he was trying to order lunch within his company, nobody could agree on what to have. Should they have uh, Japanese food? Should they have Chinese food, and so on? And they would just go into this endless loop. And as as this is this own little conversation hack, what he would do is say, you know what, this is too difficult. Let's just go to McDonald's, knowing full well that his team does not eat McDonald's. <laughs> and so as soon as he'd say, let's go to McDonald's, he go, no, I would rather have Japanese food today, even though I don't feel like it. Great. Now we know what we have. So sometimes just putting the clearly wrong thing out there gets people fired up enough that they could come back and respond with the right thing. Oh, that's interesting. That's one of the things you talk about in the book is the dramatic lowball question that sometimes you've used in interviews Ooh, in the past. Yeah. Where you say something that really is, well, you you explain it much better than I do. <laughs> something that's shockingly bad. There was an entrepreneur, um, and I mentioned her in the book, who she wouldn't give me the revenue that her company had. Now, I'm not trying to do her taxes. I don't need the details, but my audience wants to get a sense of 
how big is the company? Yeah, for context, so people know that's a that's a normal thing on your show that people come on and talk <laughs> about the revenue, and so that's a that's a common ask that you have. Right, right. And we're talking about startups in the tech space. That revenue and funding are are uh, big questions, but she wouldn't want to give it, and I'm fine with her not giving me specifics. But I wanted to know something about how big the business was, so I said. I forget the exact number, but it was something like, well, did you earn your first million yet? She goes, what? We do 30 or 40 times that. And then I got enough information to give me a sense of how big the company was. Uh So by going with a dramatic lowball, you can see her almost be insulted and fight back with an answer that was helpful. Now, did she feel bad afterwards? No, because she didn't say, Andrew, our our revenue was 34 million, whatever. She just gave us a ballpark. And what I find is that it helps to give people that kind of a push so they emotionally come back and respond with something. And sometimes people just don't have a clear answer unless they're emotionally pushed. There's two kinds of people listening to this conversation, Andrew. Um, There's a very, very small number of people who are in our audience that do interviews in some sort of form, either it's on a podcast or it's at conferences or events or it's within their organization. And if you're that person, this entire book is going to be really useful to you of thinking about how to really hear more and get people talking in a formal interview setting. For most of our audience, the first half of this book is what you should read. Uh, Andrew's really detailed out. There's a ton more that we haven't even talked about of just some of the principles, tactics, and strategies he's used over the years and done all this research that thank you for doing all the research and making all the investment to do this because we all get to benefit from it now that I think will really help all of us in everyday situations to get people talking um, more, whether it's the kids on the way home from school or the employee or your boss or whoever, I just think there's so much here that we can use. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm already using some of them as, uh, as we've talked about. Andrew Warner is the author of Stop Asking Questions, How to Lead High Impact Interviews and Learn Anything from Anyone. Andrew, thank you so much for your work. Dave, thanks for having me on. Good to talk to you again. If this conversation with Andrew was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them's episode 344, The Way to Have Conversations That Matter. Celeste Headley was my guest on that episode. We talked about some of the key principles that she's highlighted in her viral TED Talk and her book on how to really have meaningful conversations. Such a great compliment to this episode. So many practical tools from Celeste in that conversation. Episode 344 for that. I'd also recommend episode 454, How to Ask Better Questions. David Marquet was my guest on that episode. We talked about some of the key principles he's uncovered in his research on what we can do to ask the best questions. And one of the key principles is to say less, not surprisingly. By the way, that episode 454 is currently the most downloaded episode we've ever had. So many of you found that conversation useful and practical things you can do to actually hear more inside your organization, episode 454. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 500, Four Habits That Derail Listening. Oscar Trimboli was my guest on that episode, a listening expert. So many wonderful perspectives in that conversation and the common traps that many of us run into when we 
attempt to listen well. And of course, when we're having conversation, that's where a lot of those things come up. Many of you reached out to me, told me that episode was really helpful on identifying some of the patterns in your own language and conversation and how you can get better at sidestepping them a bit. All of those episodes, of course, you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you haven't already, I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. There are a ton of benefits that you receive by registering for your free membership, including the weekly leadership guide that has all the episode notes each week, the member cast, several of the free audio courses involved there. Also, uh, my interview and book notes for many of the conversations that we have on the show. Uh, Andrew's book is detailed in the book notes and database there. I post my PDF notes of what I found in the book that was useful, my highlights, and then also my interview notes. I do that for many interviews, and Andrew's is posted there as well, along with many, many others over the last several years. Uh, when you are inside the free membership, just go ahead and click on interview and book notes, and you'll see an alphabetical list by topic of by title of book of all of those notes in detail there. Just one of many of the benefits of free membership. Coachingforleaders.com is where to go to get that set up. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Jennifer Moss to the show. She is joining me to discuss what leaders can do to reduce burnout inside of our organizations. An important topic with everything going on in the world right now. Join me for that conversation with Jennifer and have a great week. Take care, everybody.